Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. How's everybody? Good, good. So glad to be here with you, to worship with you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. If this is your first time or if you're new with us and haven't met you, we'd love to be able to uh, meet you after the service. Um, but what we're going to do now is get into uh, God's word uh, together. So if you have a Bible, you can open that up to the Gospel of Luke. As you know, we're in a sermon series working through the Gospel of Luke. We just got started um, reading through uh, the narrative about the birth of Jesus. Um, and so we're going to continue in that. So we're still in chapter 1. And so you can make your way over to that. If you want to use your phone app, that's fine. We'll have the uh, verses on the screen behind me um, as well so you can follow along and we'll read from that uh, in just a few moments. Um, several years ago, uh, I was pastoring at another church and uh, there was someone who was a part of our church that got into some pretty deep trouble with the law. Uh, so one day he was at home, he was watching TV and uh, the police kicked his door in, raided his house, and he was in possession of a, a lot of illegal substances, we'll say that. And so this person was facing a lot of drug charges, both possession and distribution uh, charges. And so through this time that he was going through this, I went to many of his uh, court hearings with him. And I'll never forget his sentencing hearing. Uh, it was one of those hearings where uh, th there were several hearings going on in the courtroom at the same time, and they would just call you up. Um, so we had to sit through about four or five other sentencing hearings before we got to my friend's sentencing hearing. And we listened to final arguments um, that the defense uh, lawyers would give through all of these hearings. And, and some of these cases were just terrible. I mean, just really heinous stuff that we watched and we saw the sentencing for. And so the judge who was giving all of these sentences was in a terrible mood. She was tough and she was merciless. She had no patience for the defense attorneys giving these last minute Hail Mary defenses. She had no patience for what these people committed. She was harsh with them. She was very, very tough. And she handed out what seemed to be max sentences when she could in all of these cases. So I'm sitting through these cases waiting for my friend to go up and, uh, and for his turn to go before the judge. And I'm getting nervous for him. Because this, you're, if there's a judge, this is not the one that you want to hear your case because she is not in a good mood. And I looked over at my friend and he could tell he was nervous too. But my friend hired a very successful, very well-known, uh, very expensive defense attorney. And so when our case was called, or my friend's case was called, that attorney stood up, went to the podium to say some remarks to the judge, and this guy cracks a joke, and the entire courtroom starts to laugh, including the judge. And it was like all of the sudden, the mood in the room changed. It was like the tension in the room was released, and everything lifted, and the judge was now sitting up on the bench, and she's smiling. Seems like she's having a good day now. She's not grumpy anymore. And so the attorney begins to give some 
last minute pleas to the judge, explain a few things. This judge is all of a sudden all friendly now and was really lenient with my friend. I mean, this guy got off with uh, nowhere near what they were hoping to get uh, because this judge all of a sudden, I guess, just had was turned into a good mood now. So I, I like could not believe my eyes. I was sitting there like, I cannot believe what just happened in this courtroom. Like I was thinking, like my friend deserves more than that. Like you gotta give him more than that. Are you kidding? And so, all right, all right, moral of the story is, I guess if you're in trouble with the law, get a good defense attorney. Um, and then I also have a lot of questions about the fairness of our system now when you kind of witness things like that and, you know, what money can buy you. But, you know, I think for uh, many of us, when we picture God in our heads, uh, there are times where the picture in our head is something like that grumpy judge. The Bible depicts God as a judge who sees everything that we do, who knows everything that we think, knows every motive inside of our hearts. And so maybe you're having one of those weeks where you've been irritable towards other people or you've done some things that you shouldn't have done or you've thought things this week that you're not proud of and you imagine God is sitting on the bench annoyed at you, disgusted, impatient at your latest predictable failure, is ready to hand out the punishment. You know, sometimes we're facing a trial in life or we're going through something really hard in life. And we wonder, did I, did I deserve this? Is God giving out punishment is the reason why I'm going through what I'm going through today because of what happened back then. And we imagine God as a grumpy judge because we know our hearts, we know our own motives, we know about the things that we consistently struggle with, we know about the things that we're hiding from others and we're ashamed of ourselves frustrated with ourselves. And so if I'm ashamed of myself and I'm frustrated with myself, how could God who sees everything not be a grumpy judge who has lost his patience when it comes to me? You know, I cannot imagine the relief my friend felt when the judge that was presiding over his case showed him mercy. His greatest fear was a harsh judge, and he experienced a merciful judge. Over the last few weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, working through chapters one and two. It's a part of this sermon series, and also through Advent. So we've been studying chapters one and two. So last week, we studied what is traditionally called the Magnificat. This is a, a, a song that Mary sings about her child, Jesus and what he would do as the Messiah. And one of the themes of this song is how the Messiah, Jesus, would display the strength and the authority of God. 
and how God through the Messiah would scatter the proud and bring down rulers from their thrones and send the rich away empty. We studied how Jesus will bring the kingdom of God to bear and he would do away with sin in the world. And so last week we focused on the strength of God displayed through Mary's child. And when we think of God's strength and his transcendence and his holiness as we did last week, how could God not be a harsh judge who would have no patience for sinners like us? But in our text this morning, we're actually going to get a picture of God's glory and holiness, yes, but also God's tenderness and his gentleness. And that's what I wanna study with you this morning. I wanna study with you the gentleness and the mercifulness of God. And my prayer is as we study this text that we would have a moment like my friend did in the courtroom where we discover that the judge is not as grumpy and as impatient as we thought. And that would cause us Not to imagine God as someone who's against us or is frustrated with us or is annoyed with us, but as one who deeply loves us and is working for our good. Uh, Earlier, uh, earlier, uh, Jamie and uh, Aaron read for us our our text, which is Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. That's what we're going to study together. And this text begins with an account of the birth of John the Baptist and his naming later in the temple. So let's not forget the circumstances behind John's conception. If you remember, John's parents are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, This is an elderly couple. Zechariah serves as a priest for Israel. And one day, Zechariah is in the temple offering incense to God. And an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to conceive a child. And there would be two things about that that seemed unbelievable to Zechariah. The first is that this angel said that this child that they would conceive would be the prophet that the Old Testament said would come and announce the arrival of the Messiah. That's John the Baptist. And that they should name this child John. So remember, we preached on this three weeks ago, but Israel at that point, when Zechariah encountered this angel, Israel had not heard from God for 400 years. Generations have gone by. They've been waiting for this prophet to come to announce the coming of Messiah and for the coming of the Messiah. And now this angel all of a sudden appears to Zechariah and says, it's happening and you're gonna be the father of that prophet. God, I haven't heard from you in 400 years. The second reason why it was a little bit hard for Zechariah to believe is because Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, well past childbearing age. And they had never been able to have children. It says that Elizabeth was barren. So for them to conceive a child, I mean, that would have definitely have to be a miraculous act of God. And so because of Zechariah's unbelief, the angel caused him to go deaf and mute for nine months through the pregnancy and basically said, you're going to sit in silence and watch me do the miraculous. 
And so then we, we, we come to our text this morning. So now it's time for this child, John, to, to be born. And Zechariah has not been able to speak for the, for the last nine months. And so as it was custom, after this child was born, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth bring him to the temple to be circumcised and, and he'll get his name there. And so everyone at the temple assumes that Zechariah and Elizabeth will name this child Zechariah. Uh, that was the custom of the day. It would be the name of his father. But Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name is gonna be John. To which everyone's like, why? That's so random. Why would you name him John? Right, they're, they're wondering. And so look at verse 62 with me. Luke 1, 62 says, and they, that's just all the people in the temple witnessing this, made signs to his father, Zechariah, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. They're like, hey, Zechariah, are you sure, John? Like, do you approve of this? Now, it's interesting that they had to make signs to Zechariah to communicate with them. So this is why we think that Zechariah was also deaf through these nine months as well. But this suggests to us right here that they want to know if Zechariah is on board with Elizabeth. Zechariah gets something to write on, and he writes, he says, his name is John. And it says in verse 63 that everyone, it made everyone wonder, like, what is happening here? Something eerie was going on. Something spiritual, unconventional. They didn't really understand it. I kind of imagine when Zechariah wrote on that tablet, his name is John, and he showed it to everyone, that the hair on everyone's neck kind of stood up and they got goosebumps. Something was happening. God was moving in an unusual way that they did not quite understand. And then what happens is the Holy Spirit shows up. He fills Zechariah, opens his mouth so he can talk now, and he begins to sing and prophesy about everything God was doing. And so we get this song from Zechariah in our text this morning. And this song is all about the goodness and the tenderness and the faithfulness of God. And as he sang this song, it says, all who heard it were filled with awe. And they cherished what they heard. And so for the remainder of our time this morning, here's what I want to do. I just want to meditate on Zechariah's song. Because Zechariah is going to sing about the tender mercy of God. And I want all of us today to have our impression of God. The picture of God that we have in our heads to be influenced by what Zechariah says. To understand that when we are dealing with God and his judgments, we are dealing with someone who is good and merciful. And I'm just curious, is that the impression of God that you have? Not the impression that you should have. Is it the impression of him that you do have? Do you assume God is merciful and always good towards me? So I have three ways that Zechariah sings of the tender mercy of God. I want to look at these. Here's the first. The first way that Zechariah sings of God's tender mercy is this. God keeps every detail of his promises. I want to say that again. God keeps 
every single detail of his promises. Let's read the first part of Zechariah's song, verses 67 to 75. It says this, And John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah's song is divided into two parts. We just read the first part. And in this first part, Zechariah is just praising God because he has kept all of his promises. The second part we'll read in a second is all about what God is gonna do through his son, who is John the Baptist. You know, we've been talking about God uh, as a judge. You know, the scripture talks of God as a judge. But you know, the scripture also speaks of God as a father. And for some of us, because we had a present and faithful father in our childhood, that's not a hard concept for us to grasp, God as a father. But there are many of us who have had fathers who were not present or were not faithful. Many of us had fathers that abandoned us. Some of us have had several fathers abandon us. Some of us have had fathers who would make all kinds of promises and would never keep them. Some of us had abusive fathers. And when we have someone in our life that we're supposed to look to for security and guidance and love and care and protection and all of those things, and they are not trustworthy, they do not keep their promises. They fail us. It creates all kinds of instability in our life and in our relationships because who can I trust but myself? If the one person I was supposed to trust above all else does not keep their word, who else can I trust? Just because someone says I should trust them doesn't mean I should because we've been down that road before. I've done this before. And what I want you to see in Zechariah's song here is that Zechariah is praising God here because God has shown himself faithful. He can be trusted. His word is stable. You can entrust your life to it, not just because he says you should, but because he has shown himself to be trustworthy. In our text, Zechariah praises God that not only he has kept his promises of sending the, Zechariah, uh, sending the Messiah, but that he has kept every single detail of those promises. Zechariah praises God 
that God has fulfilled his promise that he gave to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 in the exact way that he said he would. Zechariah is praising God because God has kept the promises he gave to all of the prophets throughout the Old Testament of sending a Messiah who would establish God's kingdom. He's praising God that he kept his promise that he's going to send a prophet, this guy named John the Baptist, to announce that. He's praising God because God has kept every detail of his promises. He has done exactly what he said he was going to do. And what you need to know this morning as a follower of Jesus, God has made promises to you. And he will keep every single detail of those promises. Uh, Just think about this. God has promised you that if you trust in him, that you are justified. What does that mean? I mean that God as your judge has made a way where you would not be judged for your sins, but he has justified you and has judged you righteous. Are we judged righteous because we have earned that? Because we lived a righteous life? Because we've done everything right? We've followed his word perfectly? Of course not. We are justified by the Messiah that Zechariah is singing about right here, by Jesus. God takes our sin, he puts it on his son Jesus, who goes to the cross, he kills it, he's raised from the dead, verifying it's killed, and he takes his righteousness and he puts it on us. So when God looks at us, we are justified, we're righteous, we're worthy of his kingdom, we're perfect in his sight. And God promises that if we trust in Jesus, this will be true of us, that we will be justified. I mean, look at this, Romans 8, verses 33 to 34, says this, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Who says that we are worthy of God's judgment? Who says that we are worthy of his punishment? Who says that we are worthy? No one can say that if we trust in Jesus, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand doing what? Pleading for us. God has promised you that you are justified and no one can accuse you now. No one can condemn you now. And God will keep every detail of that promise. God has promised us eternal life in his kingdom where we'll no longer be separated from God, but we will live with God. He has promised that one day when he returns, he will make all things new. Look at this, Revelation 21. It says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven, the old earth disappeared. The sea was gone, meaning evil was gone. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And here's some promises for you. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death 
or sorrow or crying or pain, all these things are gone forever. Oh, this is a promise that we need. We have no idea when death and sorrow are gonna come upon us or the people that we love. As one who belongs to God, you're gonna experience God's kingdom like this. It's promised to you and God will keep every detail of that promise. There will be a day when sorrow is gone There will be a day when your anxiety is gone. There will be a day when your stress and your fear and your depression and your anger and your pain is gone. There will be a day where death doesn't exist. He will keep every detail of that promise to you. As we wait for that day to come, God promises that he will work everything out in your life for your good. Familiar promise, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so God promises you that even though you might experience hard things in this life, because he does not promise we won't, He has a way of sovereignly working those things out that will ultimately be for your good. That is not something we can wrap our heads around, but it's a promise of God and he will keep every detail of that promise. I could just keep going when it comes to God's promises in scripture. These are just three. But here's where we see God's tender mercy in all of these promises. Our God doesn't hold a grudge against his children. Like these promises are not bargaining chips that God uses for your obedience. These promises are not conditioned upon our performance, our morality, our ability to impress God, to earn these promises. They are not at risk of being revoked if we mess up. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. These promises do not stand on the foundation of our ability to keep all of God's commands. These promises stand on the foundation of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus We are justified if we have faith in Jesus and that is a promise that God will keep with no exceptions. And that leads to the second way that Zechariah sings of God's tender mercy. And that's this, God does not punish his children. Look at verses 76 to 78 with me. Zechariah goes, and you, child, so now he's, he's talking about John the Baptist, his son, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is the second part of Zechariah's song where Zechariah begins to sing of 
how God's going to use his son, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the prophet who will announce the arrival of Jesus as the Messiah. And John's message to God's people is that a Savior has arrived. That the advent of Jesus is God's tender mercy on his children. If you read the Old Testament, honestly, if you read the Old Testament, this is not an anthology of how amazing God's people are. It is not an anthology about how amazing the nation of Israel was. If anything, it's a record of how miserable they were and unfaithful, and they constantly doubted, and they constantly disobeyed God's word. They're constantly running away from God, and God is constantly pursuing after them. And so in the midst of, this is what all that's about, God sends his son, look at this, not to punish them, not to purge them, but to do what? To save them, to forgive them, to make a way that we as God's people could be justified, as we already talked about. This is why Zechariah calls us the, the tender mercy of God. He is not angry with us. He wants to save us and forgive us. And is the kind of judge that is merciful and good and gentle, not harsh. And so what we need to understand about God this morning is that he doesn't punish his children. And here's what that means. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been justified through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then God does not and will not ever punish you. This is key to understanding the gospel and the Christian faith. All of God's anger toward your sin, if you're a follower of Jesus, toward my sin, toward my disobedience, all of his anger towards that was exhausted on the cross of Jesus Christ. Every bit of it went on your savior. There's none of it reserved for you. Jesus took that in, that, in your place. You've been forgiven, justified. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline his children, but that's very different than punishment. Discipline comes from love and care and acting towards your good. Punishment, it comes from anger. You know, as followers of Jesus, uh, we believe in the sovereignty of God, right? The, the idea that God is in control of all things. And oftentimes, when we're going through hard things, we connect God's sovereignty with our suffering and think that God is punishing us because he knows everything that's happened in our life. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows where we struggle. And so if he knows all of that and he's also in control of all things, even the things that I suffer through, then obviously I'm going through this because God is angry at me. Right, the reason why my kids are misbehaving so much is because I'm so impatient with them and I'm just getting what I deserve. Uh, the reason why I'm not getting that raise at work is because I've been so foolish with my money in the past, I'm just getting what I deserve. Uh, the reason I'm single is because how I've messed up in the past. So God's not gonna let me enjoy that marriage. The reason I'm struggling with depression is because I don't spend enough time with God. I'm just getting what I 
deserve. We say it all the time. We connect God's sovereignty and punishment all the time in our heads. And it's simply theologically untrue. God does not send hard things into our lives to punish us because he's angry with us. If that were the case, then the cross was a failure. But God will use his sovereignty to grow us. He will use it to redeem sin in our life. He will use it to work all things together for our good. And sometimes that does mean walking through hard things. But God never punishes his children. And yes, that good news, that truth is only for God's children. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. It's not true for those who reject God. They will experience judgment and punishment for their sin if they end this life without entrusting their life to Jesus as their savior. But even in this, we see God's tender mercy. That's the third way Zechariah sings of God's tender mercy, and that's this, God desires all to be saved. Look at this in verse 79 where he says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, As we're gonna study together on Tuesday night, for Christmas Eve, Nick read this as well to our, for our call to worship this morning. Uh, on the night that Jesus was born, um, these angels appeared to these shepherd in the field to announce the birth. And they said this, they said, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. This gospel in God's tender mercy is for all all people. This gospel is for your neighbors. This gospel is for all nations. This gospel is for every person on the planet, which is why Jesus sent his church to go to every person on the planet and proclaim this gospel because he desires all to be saved. And that means if that you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus as your savior, this gospel is for you. This isn't about a religious system or works. It's about God's tender mercy. And it's available available to you because Jesus came. He took our sin. He took on God's anger. He brought us into his family. And all one needs to do to receive his tender mercy is receive it. And to receive it is just to confess that you need it and that it only comes, that mercy only comes through Jesus because he went to the cross. He's not a grumpy old judge looking to make your life miserable. He is tender, he is gentle, he is merciful. And that's the impression of God that we should have in our heads and in our hearts. And so if you don't trust in Jesus, what would stop you from receiving that mercy today? Oh, we would love to pray with you in that. What would stop any of us from being reminded of his mercy this morning? 
I think there are people in this room right now, I know there are people in this room right now who you've received God's mercy, you believe in it. All of those promises I talked about are yours. But you need to be reminded of God's gentleness and his tenderness. Whatever you're struggling with, wherever you're feeling guilt or shame, even if you're doubting him, it's a lie that God is punishing you and you're getting what you deserve. What you deserve in Christ is God's eternal kingdom and joy forever. He's not holding a grudge against you. He's not withholding his promises from you. There's not even a risk of that. His grace is that radical. I mean, it's, his mercies are inexhaustible, right? You're, you are not the exception. I think someone needs to hear that. Like you this morning are not the one person that none of this applies to. You are under his grace. And although you might feel far from God, he is close to you. And you can trust him. And so I just want to end our time. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church. That as we celebrate Christmas, that we would rest in God's tender mercy. Let's pray. God, I don't know who in this room this morning needs to have their impression of you healed. I am sure there are people in this room this morning who feel far from you, who feel like you are angry with them and annoyed and frustrated that they haven't gotten their act together. I'm sure there are people in this room walking through really hard things and wondering if they're going through it because you're punishing them. Lord, I know there are people going through hard things this morning and they're wondering where you're at in them. And so God, I just pray this morning that for every one of us in this room, in our hearts, we would have a picture of you as one who is tender and is gentle and loves us and has done the unthinkable, give of his own son so that we could be made right with you. Like that's how much you want to be with us and save us and to forgive us So you did that. God, would you just, if there's anyone in the room who thinks that they're the exception to that, just in this moment by your spirit, would you meet them and would you, would you just so gently show them and remind them of your love? God, we are excited to celebrate the birth of your son Jesus this week. For some of us, that's a hard thing to do. 
just all the holidays and all the gathering. There's some of us who are, who are mourning and suffering right now. I've talked to two people this morning, God, who are mourning death. God, would your just tenderness just comfort them, restore them, and remind them of your promises this morning. In Christ's name, amen.